Hello everyone, I'm Tech Sergeant Shane Hughes. And I'm Captain Courtney Slater. And you're listening to Beyond the Horizon, a podcast produced by the Ohio Air National Guard's 178th Wing in Springfield, Ohio. Joining us today is Bill Bolton, the Sexual Assault Response Coordinator for the 178th Wing. Today we discussed his role in the Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Program at the Wing. Today's show covers content of a sensitive nature that may be triggering to some listeners. Please take care of yourself, and if you need to, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. All right, so why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about who you are and how you got involved with the uh, Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Program. Sure, so... um... It, it kind of all started uh, back when I was with the Army. Uh, I enlisted with the Army back in 2006 um, and then went to ROTC at Wright State University and turned around and um, deployed shortly after I, I graduated. And uh, the, the big event that kind of made me come to the, the SAPR program was uh, while I was on, on the, my deployment, it, a, an event happened and um, my leadership did not handle it uh, appropriately. So from there, um, you know, I was kind of like, you know, uh, uh, first lieutenant, uh, kind of watching this all play out. I was like, there's no way this is appropriate, uh, how it was handled. Um, so, you know, speed forward, uh, we got back and everything. Uh, a few years, a few years after we got back, um, was looking through, actually scrolling through uh, Facebook, and this event popped back up on my uh, on my feed, and I was like, "Are you serious? This person is still going through all this." Um, and at that time, I was working at uh, Beetler, and um, so I text my uh, platoon sergeant at the time uh, when we were deployed. I was like, "Hey, can you believe this is still going on?" And uh, so we we're just kind of baffled by it by it uh like i said we were kind of like on the outside watching it and um, so we knew a little bit of the details we didn't know everything and um we're just just amazed that it's still going on um a couple months later a uh position opened up at right or uh, excuse me uh, springfield uh here at the, the 178th wing as a sexual assault response coordinator and uh that kind of lead, led me to the um applying for the position uh, not only was it closer to my home, but, uh, you know, I, I thought um, maybe uh, I can, uh, you know, help those leaders understand uh, and what to do and why the, there's a process in place for these, uh, these kind of events. So that way when it does happen um, uh, in a deployed location or at home station, uh, you know, the, I can help the leaders uh, or our leaders kind of do the process correctly you know, uh, be there, help them, guide them through, and uh, not not have another person go through, you know, years later uh, what this person was going through. Okay, so your story, you know, as an outsider witnessing what was going on brought me back for a moment when I deployed, my roommate had confessed to me that she had also been assaulted. And yeah, the, the whole thing as I'm sitting here listening to you talk about it reminded me of that incident and just how differently things were handled and at the time. Um, going back, we're talking many, many years. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like what's changed over the years 
now that you've been sitting in this position for a while, what's changed with the program and how you see airmen responding? Yeah, so what's actually changed is um, pretty much everything. It's not the same program that it was when in, uh, in, in its uh, inception. Uh, we actually have, um, it was just kind of like a memo saying, hey, I was sexually assaulted, I want some help, you know. Um, and now we have the 2910. It kind of just step by step goes through, you know, what's what services this person can uh, receive and did the SARC tell you this? Did they, did you tell, did you, uh, were you told about the, the services, uh, your options, your rights as a victim, um, uh, you know, what your uh, leadership is going to do, you know, what's, what's the next step for your leadership? What steps are they going to take? Um, are you going to talk to OSI? Um, uh, you know, what, what medical services can you get? Um, so it's, it's, it, we're, uh, the, SEP, the SAPR program now is more of a liaison f- uh, between the services and that client, uh, as well as, you know, somebody that, they only have to tell the story to once, and then they can keep coming back to the uh, the victim advocate or myself, and uh, and not have to tell the retell their story. Um, if they go to a, a, if they come to me, it's like, hey, you know, we have uh, the uh, DPH or mental health or whatever or whoever. Um, then they go tell them. They don't have to go tell them again, and then go tell OSI. They can come to us, you know, one time, and you know. We, we're here to, you know, listen to them. Um, you know, we're going to drop whatever we have going on because now this is our, our uh, priority is, is this person. Um, so a lot of the, the red tape is gone. Uh, um, you, you know, they, they can come to us openly, uh, what they can tell us, um, and not be mandatory reporters. Uh, we don't have to tell OSI. Uh, they don't have to, uh, once they tell us, uh, that they were sexually assaulted, there's there's no obligation for me to inform anybody um, until they they sign the 2910, just saying that uh, the victim's uh, preference statement, saying yes, I want to do a unrestricted report, I want to do the restricted report, or uh, I just want somebody to talk to, because people can t- come to me and tell me about a sexual assault, and I have no obligation to you know, report it to command or to NGB or anybody uh, unless they, they sign that uh, 2910. It's so nice to hear that that process has been streamlined for our airmen and such um, at the time. So we went through OSI for my roommate. And I think, you know, me as at the time, a young airman would have really helped to know more about your program and you know what does that process look like what are you guys here for so i i know i speak for sergeant hughes as well and the rest of the airmen it's so great to have you here today and learn more about you know who you are where can we find you and what you can provide for our airmen you know when push comes to shove knowing where to go and just you know automatically being able to direct themselves there that's that's huge for our airmen, especially, you know, our young airmen who just may not know and may not understand what's going on. Absolutely. And even um, the, uh, how OSI handles sexual assaults, uh, you know, years of uh, study and, and uh, training now, they are, you know, they're not the scary entity anymore. They're, 
they've been they've been trained to help you know the victim and they they treat the victim differently than you know if it was a alleged subject of some crime you know they're not going to be you know asking the hard questions and slamming stuff you know slamming fists or yelling at them it's like you know just tell them i want the truth or whatever you know so <laughs> that kind of thing but uh yeah they um in their own training they uh they have like a week's worth of training just in um investigating sexual assaults and how to handle interviews and so yeah it's not a um yeah they call them interviews now instead of uh investigations uh with the the client or or whoever so. sounds a little more low threat yes exactly we're That's just what gonna talk for. yeah we're here just to talk you tell us uh tell us what you know uh and then they can exhaust all the um avenues to find you know uh what actually happened and and everything get all the sides of the story and then they just bundle it up in a nice little uh you know report and then send it up to ja and go from there right would you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the different types of reporting and what our airmen should know about those different reporting types? Sure. So uh, hopefully everybody knows <laughs> uh, we have uh, two, two types of reports. We have the restricted report and the unrestricted report. So the restricted report, they can come to me, they can sign the 2910, and the information does not leave my office. Um, unless they want, you know, go talk to the DPH. If they're on active duty, they can go to um, mental health and go see a mental health specialist and actually, you know, do go that avenue. Uh, they can go to the chaplain. Uh, like I said, I, I'm like the liaison. Like, what do you? What kind of services are you wanting? Because like, we can do X, Y, and Z, and then I can connect them with those individuals. Uh, again, with a restricted, um, like I said, there's no, uh, it doesn't leave my office. Um, there's no investigation. Uh, OSI is not notified. Their commander and nobody in their chain of command is known or uh, is notified. Uh, the wing commander is only notified that there was a restricted report. And then I'll basically just tell him if it was happened on base, if it didn't happen on base. Um, just so that way he knows if you know if there's a, a situation that happened on his on his base then you know like hey start watching out for this uh when security forces goes goes around or um you know if it was in a building or or whatever so um so and then we got i forgot about that unrestricted part uh so <laughs> unrestricted so if you they file an unrestricted uh, so that one uh, will notify the their commander. Will notify the local law enforcement if they want to. Um, being National Guard is kind of different. If it happened off base uh, and not on federal property, you know, then OSI is not notified. But if it happened on, uh, you know, out in the economy, um, then we'll notify the local law enforcement uh, if they want to go. If they don't want to go to the local law enforcement, that's up to them. It can still be unrestricted, um, and there's not going to be an uh, investigation just because, you know, we didn't go and file a report. Um, it, all the services are all the same. Um, the DPH, um, chaplain, uh, medical, uh, medical services. And, and, and just, uh, I can speak for the state of Ohio, uh, the safe uh, safe kit, the sexual assault forensic examination, is all free, uh, paid for by the state. So they can go to uh, any hospital and get that 
get that service. Uh, then turn around and get um, uh, checked out by by a doctor. You know, just make sure that there's nothing nothing physically wrong with them, no broken arms. Uh, one one thing is uh, that kind of popped up in the last few years is strangulation, uh, and that doesn't really show up until about 24 hours after you know you could possibly even have been uh, strangled, uh, bruising around the esophagus and everything. Um, you know, starts swelling and everything. And so that's why they kind of, if you were, uh, or if you were strangled, uh, you let the doctor know and uh, they can put you under observation for the like 24 hours or, or whatever they, the medical field seems uh, or deems necessary. Um, so just uh, watch that swelling you know, around the neck or, or wherever, so. Um, so you had, uh, like I said, all the services are essentially the same. Uh, in addition to expedited transfers, so you can switch wings, uh, interstate uh, transfer or interstate, uh, go to a, a whole another state if uh, if you want to. And that was just to give the uh, originally give the the airman the option to get back closer to a, um, a support system. So if they were, their parents are in another state or their family's in another state, then they can go back and uh, we can, I can, I'll assist them going to another wing in another state um, or just a, or a fresh start at another, another wing. On the active duty side, it was um, just uh, the same thing. You know, we can get you to a new base within like 60, almost 60 days, less than 60 days. We can get uh, that individual to a, a a new base uh, for that fresh start or again just to get to a closer um, uh, closer to their support system uh, then <clears throat> then also the CPO and the MPO um, the MPO being the military protective order uh, that's only enforceable on base and then the civilian protective order uh, you know we, we'd have to go takes a little longer to get that um, we have to go through a court system in uh, that county and then get a protective order uh, against the, the alleged subject but yeah okay so without getting into the specific details of any individual case can you tell me a little bit about how this program has helped airmen yes so um, you know there's multiple uh, multiple cases that uh, you know the two or a couple of programs I've been uh, part uh, part of uh, where we've seen you know airmen uh, I guess you want to say recover from this and uh, be able to move on and uh, have a continued um, you know excellent career in the Air Force um, uh, you know or or if they even get out uh, they at the time. You know, if there's an MEB or, e, or if they're ETSing, you know, we'll we'll do that warm handoff um, with the local uh, service. You know, I'm I'm not just gonna you know just let the let the individual go out and uh, just like you know open hands and okay you know fly away now do great things or whatever. It's uh it's a little um, I do the legwork. You know, I find out where they're gonna go. You know. Uh, one individual was going to another state. I, you know, I was like, okay, so are you going back with, to family or whatever or whoever? And uh, he's like, yeah. So um, I found out where he's going to. I called, uh, you know, just a regular Google 
Google search and uh, just found those those services. I call for I I'll call them for the that individual so that way they're not cold calling and trying to figure out their process. I'll I'll figure out the process for them to get them set up or. Uh, in this individual case, he, he just wanted resources just to have at hand. So when he does uh, get get to where he was going, he could, uh, you know, call people he knew, you know, somebody was going to pick up the line um, or at least get a phone call back. You know, kind of leading in a different direction. The past few years, just society, um, not necessarily military specific, but society as a whole, <laughs> We've seen a lot of movements the past few years, you know, really teaching our children and, you know, our peers around us about, you know, body autonomy. And, you know, there's a Me Too movement that went around. And I'm curious to know when those those movements are happening and now do you see more of an uptick in people coming to report and what do you think that says about individuals feeling empowered to call out this behavior and what do you think your program has done for that? All right, so to add the the biggest movement um, was the Vanessa Gillian uh, situation that happened down in Fort Hood. Um, so the SAPR program or the, the military uh, sent a team down there to investigate You know what what um, can the military do better? Uh, from that, we have the, the IRC, the Independent Review uh, Commission. Um, so they've come uh, through their investigation or, or uh, um, deep dive into the programs, uh, not only the SAPR, but uh, the mental health and you know, the family advocacy. It's, uh, they've come up with like 80 new um, uh, things that they want to change in the program. Uh, that was all sent to the Congress. Congress accepted all 80 of them. So you'll see even more changes in the next few years, uh, w- professionalizing the, the SAPR program, uh, you know, making uh, one uh, from, the, from the, the beginning was professionalizing the, the SAPR program, making uh, the position not a military position, but a civilian position. Uh, the the different trainings uh, they've changed that up the last few last few years they've uh, gone to like looking at the the group commanders saying hey group commanders or squadron commanders you need to stand up in front of your people and say you know this and it's been quarterly that we uh, we we had the commanders do that so that way um, uh, you know we get the buy-in from the commanders and the commanders are telling their troops. Uh, directly uh, through their roll calls. Uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, with uh, COVID and everything, it was through teams and everything. Um, we, we'll sit there or stand there next to the commander and, you know, say, hey, you know, introduce ourselves and we're here. Uh, the commander's going to go over some talking points. And uh, if there's any questions, then we'll be there uh, to help help the commander actually answer those questions so that way they have uh, a, a SME there to answer them. You can imagine there are a lot of uh, high school kids out there considering joining the military, but perhaps they've heard, you know, some of this about, you know, sexual assaults being really high in the military. Um, what would you say to someone 
who's heard those things and considering not joining the military because of that. Yeah, because of that reason. Uh, so I look at um, sexual assault. Is, sexual assault is not a military uh, problem. It's a society problem. Um, even uh, so, I spent three years as the deputy sergeant right, right, Pat, and uh, you know it. It wasn't just because the people were military that sexual assaults were happening. It was uh, civilians on military, military on civilians. So, you know, there's no way to separate the person from society, and you know, to show that it's a it's a military problem. Again, it's it's a society problem and. It just takes uh, you know a person to step forward and say this is not this is not right. Uh, we're not going to stand for this. Um, that's why the you know we have some people say you know these silly slogans or whatever that the Sapper program comes up with. But you know step forward and 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 be that advocate uh, if you're trained or not and say this is not something that is acceptable. But uh, what again it goes back to just being a society problem. I would not tell somebody not to join because of sexual assault. I think that's a really great distinction that you made there. Like, this is not a military problem. This is a society problem. Um, So thank you for, you know, clarifying that and, you know, letting our listeners know and, and understand that. I think, too, it's important to note that, you know, when we're in the military, you know, Sergeant Hughes, like you said, you know, what, why... Should people think about that when they join? Well, the awesome benefit is we have this program that you're part of and that you're leading, and we are continuously providing our airmen with these resources that, you know, as a straight civilian, they may not know where to go to for help. They don't have all these extra resources that we provide our people. Um, so, yeah, thank you for identifying that. and. What would you say that, you know, these programs, how do they contribute to overall military readiness? People use these programs and they come back and, and continue being uh, contributing airmen uh, to the military, right? And I think that's um, important to know that there are these programs here uh, that the military is, you know, providing. Uh, people on the outside, they don't have these programs or they don't have uh, somebody to assist them in in this whole situation that they they are in. Um, this is, these people are overwhelmed and um, not it's it's hard to think you know straight when you're thinking this and this and you have to do this and oh by the way you have to live normal life you have to you know, um, if you're married or if you have kids or, you, you know, with your job and everything. Um, it, we're just a program that they can come come to and rely on and uh, get the help that they want or need. Yeah, I love that. Kind of, hey, we've got your back. You go do your job and we've got yeah. your back. Yeah, <laughs> we'll exactly. support you. What have you found has been the most rewarding aspect of this role for you? Yeah, so the the most rewarding, um, you know, you get to talk, you get to help people, right? And uh, you get a somebody it was, you know, maybe at their highest, and some uh, an event happened, uh, deployment, whatever, and uh, now they're at the bottom. You know, they're at the lowest low. Uh, I can I get to 
intervene. I get to be there to help them uh, and, you know, watch them uh, come back out of it. Uh, so that way they can, you know, coming back to work and, and uh, um, again, just being that, getting them to the point where they can be the contributing airmen that they were or even above where they were. When you're working with survivors, do you see a commonality between them about what has transitioned them from victim to, okay, I am now a survivor? Have you seen anything like common within them that has helped them transition, whether it's a specific support system or something that they've told you about that, that has helped them through their journey? The few, the few that I've heard, you know, got the, the feedback, right? Uh, it was just the SAPR program being there. Uh, at Wright Pat, you know, we had uh, five, five, six people in the office. So it was, everybody was, you know, working to the same goal. Uh, it, if one person was out, you know, we would make sure that there was always somebody there to help that person. Uh, over here, I'm the only full-time, but we have five or six uh, volunteer victim advocates right now. Um, you know, so there's always somebody uh, to cover our backs to help that person. Um, you know, it's kind of like the chaplain. You know, I, I tell everybody we have about like 99.9% confidentiality, you know. <laughs> so unless you tell me you're going to hurt, you hurt yourself, hurt somebody, you know, then I have to kind of intervene there and let somebody know. But um, just the confidentiality, uh, making them feel secure and uh, and with me, uh, with my office, uh, that they can tell me, uh, you know, everything, uh, if they, if they want to, or as little as they want to, uh, I'm not sitting there, you know, asking them, you know, well, why did you do this? Why did you do that? There's no judgment. It's a, I mean, the, the judgment free zone, right? Um, I'm not going to turn the Hulk alarm on <laughs> or something. So, uh, it's, I just want, uh, my office, uh, you know, here at, the 178th you just be you know come to my office you can say whatever you want uh and not feel like your uh whatever you say is going to be detrimental to your your air force career uh or your military career uh so i mean yeah just being you know that confidentiality confidentiality and uh that security uh providing that for them Okay, so we talked a little bit before, you know, who who would be a mandatory reporter. Can you kind of just go through, you know, off the top of your head, who would you say are the mandatory reporters within yes. the wing? So Yeah, so mandatory reporters. Um, first off, let's start with the security forces. Uh, your first line leader, um, and that's all the way down from, you know, your commander, uh, first sergeant, chief. Uh, all the way down to your, uh, you know, the, the first line supervisor, right? Uh, those people are mandatory reporters, um, just so that way uh, they can make sure that you get the help that, that you need. Um, but uh, with uh, some of the changes that are coming, uh, if you don't know a certain individual is a mandatory reporter, you know, um, there are there's changes that are happening where you know we can buy look past that and uh, still do the restricted report um, so so that's those are the big ones um, 
IG on uh, certain things uh, or certain sections of IG are going to be mandatory reporters. So even, uh, you know, like Chief Ross, he's going to be a mandatory reporter. Uh, the vice wing commander, of course, the commander. Um, but uh, I always tell people if, if you're wary about it uh, or wary about telling anybody, always just come to our office first. Because I'm not saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the best person for that person to talk to. Maybe they, they have a good relationship with somebody in their unit and uh, they want, you know, that support from that, that person. Um, you know, if, if you're in doubt, just, uh, just call the, the SAPR office and, and we can talk through it and, you know, go from there. So um, when I told a little bit, you know, I had an experience with my roommate when I was deployed and we ended up going to a court martial and they brought me out for it. Just I guess I didn't really contribute a whole lot because it was kind of hearsay like, hey, my roommate told me these things and I helped walk her through the process. Um, but that experience kind of did the same thing for me that sounds like it did for you wanting to get involved in the program. If there are airmen out there that want to get involved and, you know, feel called to do more mm-hmm. for, you know, either, you know, fellow survivors or maybe they don't have a personal experience, but they want to get involved and be there. What what are options for people? Yeah. So uh, we're always doing the, the education and training portion of it. Right. So yearly, everybody has to have the SAPR brief. Uh, this year we have um, we're doing the uh, train the trainer uh, type type uh, training. Um, so get with your leadership and tell them that you want to be involved in the, the sapper and uh, uh, suicide uh, prevention training. Uh, we have that coming up in um, uh, next month. Uh, one one day during the May third, I think it is. Uh, during during the week and then during um, May drill, we'll have uh, another one for the DSGs, uh, and then those people will train those people to go out to their units, and then they can uh, train that way. Um, I see, I foresee this uh, happening again next year. Uh, so far, we've gotten a pretty good um, uh, feedback from uh, the groups uh, with names. We have like almost thirty now. Uh, that are volunteering for this and um, we're uh, at least for the sapper program we have uh, two tiers uh, one for the um, e6 and below and then e7 and below or e7 and up uh, the type trainings uh, just get more, one's more geared towards being a leader what do you do as in a, a leadership position and then uh, the other ones you know what do you do as a, a, a wingman um, uh, when you're out there with their, uh, with all your other wingmen. Um, so I foresee that coming up ne- again next year. Uh, so April is Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. Um, so we, we're having events. Uh, so you, um, April 27th is going to be a uh, free dress down day. So you can wear your, uh, uh, we're asking people to wear denim to show on a certain day to show people that you're supporting you know, survivors, clients, uh, uh, victims, whatever they, that person wants to be called. But um, so there's that way to get in. Uh, we did um, Day of Action uh, on Wednesday. Was that the, the, was that the 13th? Yes, the 13th. Um, 
normally it's on uh, April 5th, but uh, we just moved it for the 178th uh, for the Day of Action. Uh, so, you know, and we wear teal. You wear something teal to identify yourself, you know, that you're uh, supporting, supporting the SAPR program uh, or, or just uh, the sexual assault programs out there altogether. Um, next year, I want to make, uh, you know, the, the events more robust. Uh, I came back just in December, just in time, for, you know, to pick up the stick and uh, getting everything squared away. But, uh, you know, so next year I want to make it more more robust. There's going to be more events uh, that's going on. Um, but then, uh, so the Volunteer Victim Advocate, we're going to have a course uh, 16 to 20 uh, May. And, again, you know, being a victim advocate is not for everybody. So we kind of, like, hey, I try to hand select those kind of people uh, for that. But, uh, like I said, we have six people that have gone through it uh, here on base, uh, male and females. Uh, so we have a we have a good team, and uh, we cover all our GSUs. Uh, other ways to get in involved, um, yeah, just uh, contact the the Sapper program or Sapper office, and uh, you know we can uh, we can we can get you involved. Um, you wouldn't be able to help. You have to be uh, DSACP credentialed to actually help uh, clients. Uh, but you know, there's other, like I said, there's other ways to, to help and support the program. What myths about sexual assault do you want to just throw out there and say they're just myths? It's not true. Uh, that it just happens to females. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't happen just to females. It can happen to anybody. Um, the, it's not just the stranger, uh, um, rapes anymore. Uh, you know, I think that was like the, the 90s kind of thing. Um, uh, it, it, could, it can happen to anybody, right? It's a, it's a crime of uh, opportunity. Um, so uh, as far as other myths, uh, yeah, no. do you have any other myths that you want me to debunk? Is there any last words that you would say to any survivors out there of sexual assault? Uh, to the uh, survivors of sexual assault, you know uh, the programs programs here. Um, you know it's it's. Um, I don't want to say nice to know, but uh, you know if if you want to pop pop in to the, the Sapper office and say you know uh, to show your support uh, or or hear uh, you know how a SAP or a Sapper uh, program helped you. You know, um, and maybe you, you want to pass on uh, some feedback and say, hey, you know, this is what uh, the SAPR program did to, for me. You know, maybe it'll help others in, in the future. Let me know. So if we have airmen that do want to come talk to you, what is the best way for them to do so? Where can they find you? Okay, so I am uh, located in the building 118 uh, back there with the chaplain and the um, uh, DPH. Uh, in office 181 um, or they can call uh, the 937-504-3419 that phone number Uh, so I always have that with me uh, if I'm on on duty off duty whatever Um, and then uh, but the office hours uh, I have from uh, what is it like 7 to 14 or 1630 Uh, I'll be in the office uh, Monday to Thursday but uh, so really the best way is to call uh, so that way you ensure somebody's there. 
And if you happen to be driving right now or doing the dishes or on a jog, uh, those numbers and those resources will be listed in our show notes. Again, thank you so much for coming in today. We really appreciate you being here. That concludes today's episode of Beyond the Horizon. Always take care of your airmen and look out for one another.